0: for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals.
1: Hi, my name is Tony Sicoria, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. And I've had an interesting experience in my life. In 1994, I was 42 years old. And I was at a party which was a communal birthday party for my wife's family because there were five or six people that had birthdays in august of that year in 1994 and it was easy to have one party to get everybody on that particular day we were in a place called athens new york and we're at a lake called sleepy hollow lake which is somewhat of an ominous name just from the history of the legends of sleepy hollow at any rate i was assigned the duty of running the grill and i was outside doing that it was a beautiful a beautiful summer day and the sky was clear and i was doing my job as the day wore on my mom was not there and so i decided i would go call her the phone and just to check on her and i was not paying attention to the fact that the sky had grown dark and a big cloud had formed over the lake but i was busy so i was oblivious to it and i walked around the front of the building and uh, we rented a pavilion and the front of the building was a payphone so I, i walked around to the front of the building and i picked up the phone and I dialed my mom and she was busy and didn't answer the phone and after it rang five or six times I decided well I'll just hang up and try again later and as I started to take the phone away from my face I heard a huge crack and this big flash of light came out of the phone and hit me in the face and I knew exactly what had happened there had been a, a storm that had come up and a bolt of lightning had come out of the, and come down and hit the building and came out through the phone and hit me in the face and just threw me back like a rag doll and as I was flying backwards from the impact I had a very strange sensation of of moving forward and I was very confused because it, I thought, that's really a strange thing to happen. And then I was standing there and I'm looking around and I look to the front and, and there's the phone dangling. And I look to my right and there's a staircase going up to the second floor. And I just cannot comprehend what is going on because I knew exactly what had happened. There was no lapse of any thought or memory, and now everything was different, and it didn't make any sense. And right at that second, I hear my mother-in-law screaming at the top of the stairs, and she comes flying down the stairs, and she's running right at me. And I'm thinking, this can't be good. But it was like she didn't see where I was and I'm standing right in front of her, and she comes running down the stairs, and she doesn't acknowledge that I'm standing there, and she just takes off to her left. And I thought, okay, well, I'm gonna go follow her. So I, I turned and I started walking toward where she was going, and I was confronted with myself, and I was totally shocked. and. I see my body is on the ground, and and there's all these people that are standing around it. And I'm walking over toward the body, and I realize, oh my God, I'm dead. And I thought, you know, I was kind of disappointed because I thought, well, it must be some sort of thing that would happen when you die, that bells go off or whistles or something. But there was nothing. It was just one second I was standing there in front of the phone, and the next I was flying backwards. And then I had that strange sensation of moving forwards, which I'm assuming was me leaving my body. And now I'm confronted with the fact that the shell is on the ground, but my consciousness is with me. That's a critical thing to realize because. As I was standing there, I'm having these racing thoughts, and I realized that, oh, my God, I'm conscious. I'm the consciousness of that empty shell on the ground. And I realize that whoever I am, I always am. There's no break in consciousness. There's no such thing as dying. Yeah, we die, but we don't cease we continue and the consciousness continues on as I'm standing there and I'm I'm watching, I'm trying to call out to them, but nobody can hear me or see me. And I thought, well, this is pretty strange. And there was a lady standing behind me waiting to use the phone. So she was probably five yards behind me and she and her daughter, Uh, We're standing there. Her daughter was 12, 13 years old, and she was waiting to use the phone because she wanted to call one of her friends. Her mom was sitting there with her. Turns out her mom was a nurse. I saw her starting to get down to do CPR. And at that point, I thought, well, nobody can hear me. Nobody can see me. And I feel stupid just standing here. So for some reason, I turned and started to go up. To the second floor because i wanted to see my family and as i started walking up the stairs it was very strange because i normally will look down at the ground to see where the stairs are so i don't trip and fall on my face and as i got to about the third step i noticed that something was happening to my legs the form was starting to dissolve and i thought whoa this is really getting out of hand here And I continued walking up the stairs. And by the time I got up to the top of the stairs, I had no form at all. And I was just a a ball of energy. And at that point, the stairs go off to the left and I didn't bother. I just went right through the wall and I came out on the other side of the wall directly over my wife's head. And she was sitting on a chair and she was painting children's faces. Cause there were a bunch of kids there and they were all little. And I looked down at her and I looked at my kids and I just got the intuition that they would be fine. And I just kept going. And I, it was like I was on a conveyor belt that I had no control over. And so I passed diagonally through the room. And when I went through the roof was when things really started to get interesting because I, It was like I had immediately fallen into a river of pure, positive energy. And it was this bright bluish-white light that just pervaded from what seemed like a source that was some distance away. But it just radiated into everything. And it reminded me of when I was a child, I would swim in a creek that had a, a deep area in this crystal clear water and I would lay down on the bottom and look up at the sun and the sun would come through the water and the rays would have this sparkly kind of appearance to it. And it reminded me of that. But what was so striking about this light was that if you can imagine absolute love and peace, that was what was the only thing that was in this energy. And I call it an energy because I could not only see the energy coming but i could feel it and i could actually see the energy form which was really strange because i'm looking at it and and i could see that that energy was what made everything i I was looking at trees and hillside and could see the lines of energy and it was almost like a sine wave that was a, a low frequency vibration that was running through everything and and I thought, well, this must be the God energy. This must be what makes everything. And it was stunningly nothing but love and peace. And I don't think I could describe it any other way. And I thought this was the greatest thing that could ever happen to somebody to to experience this. And as I was floating in this this river of pure positive energy, I had a kind of a flashback of previous high and low points in my life it was almost like a collage it wasn't anything in detail it was this flashes of a picture of this and picture of that and it there was just a certain knowing that came with the pictures similar to what you would see now you look at a picture and a thousand words come with it and I was just I'd become ecstatic about where I was going because this was really an amazing trip. And I knew that I was going someplace because it it had speed and direction. It was taking me someplace. I had no idea where I was going, but at that point, I didn't care either. Um, I was just so overwhelmed with how wonderful it was. And as I was going along then, and I'd reached the point where I was just absolutely ecstatic with where I was going and what was happening. And then it was like somebody flipped a switch and suddenly I was back in my body. I remember screaming out, you know, to myself, cause I was still unconscious, you know, please don't make me do this. I, I don't want to go back. And I was really angry because number one, it hurt like hell. I, you know, I went from absolute bliss to nothing but pain. Where this thing had hit me in the face left a burn on my mouth and a burn on my foot where it went out those things really hurt and it seemed like it took you know many minutes before i was able to open my eyes and and to even regain conscious and when i did i looked and and there was this nurse lady who was sitting kneeling next to me and I wanted to thank her for saving my life but all that came out was it's okay i'm a doctor and she just kind of laughed and said well you weren't a minute ago and i felt so stupid for having said that i said okay the the circuits aren't working too well so i'm just going to shut up and at that point you know the police came and they wanted to take me in an ambulance and i said no way i'm not I'm not going to sit in the hospital for hours just to have somebody tell me, yeah, you got struck by lightning and and you're alive. So I wasn't thinking very clearly either at that point because I should have gone, but I didn't. I did have them take me home. And I, as we were going home, I called my cardiologist and my neurologist and asked them to, to take a look at me. And, So everybody did and they all said the same thing, you know, you're lucky to be alive and, and that's just the way it is. So at that point, you know, we got home and for about a week, I was very foggy. It was like, I could look directly at you and I could tell that I knew who you were and maybe even knew what you did, but I could not remember your name. And, and there were a lot of things like that where I would look at something and, or I would try to remember a, a disease and I would know everything about those things, but the name was gone. It was, it was stuck someplace in a drawer in my brain and I just didn't have access to it. And after a week, all of that went away and I was kind of really struggling with, okay, then Seems like it, an awful lot to happen to somebody. And what the hell did that mean? And so I had to go back to work and life went on. But within a week of that, I started having this incredible desire to hear classical piano music, which was a big departure for me because I was a kid of the 60s. It was rock and roll and there really wasn't much of anything else. When I was seven years old, my mom had made me take piano lessons for a year, which I dutifully did under threat of terrible things happening to me. And I did it for a year and I never wanted to go back. So this was very foreign for me. And it didn't stop, though. I you know, just kept getting this constant mirage of wanting to hear classical piano music. And we didn't have any. One day I said, I got to go get some classical piano music on a CD. And at the time, you know, we live way out in the country. So I had to drive to Albany, New York, which was about an hour away to find a place that had classical piano CDs. And I did that. And when I walked into the store, it's like a CD case literally jumped off the shelf into my hands. And it was Vladimir Ashkenazi playing his favorite Chopin. And I was so amazed by the music. I listened to it on the way home. I listened to it every day. I made my family listen to it. I made my the people that I work with, made them listen to it while I was doing surgery. And I'm sure that everybody thought that I was a little left of center as a result of this whole thing. but. At that point, I was literally smitten with the music and and realized that, oh my God, it's not going to be enough for me to listen to this. I need to learn how to play it. And so I I didn't have a piano and I didn't remember anything about how to play. But magically thinking, I said, well, it won't really matter. I'll just somehow muddle through this. But what was interesting was the next day, one of our babysitters came by and said, you know, I, I have to move. And I have this old upright piano that I love, and but I need to store it for a year. Could I leave it at your house? And we said, sure. And suddenly I have a piano. And I went and bought some books on how to teach myself. And I also bought all the sheet music from the CD, which was... You know, kind of a ludicrous thought because I didn't know how to play and I didn't have the faintest idea how to tackle anything of that complexity. But uh, again, undaunted, I just I started going through the book, trying to teach myself. And about three to four weeks after the lightning event, I have a dream. And it was strange because this was a, a very vivid dream and in this dream I'm I'm walking out onto a stage and i realized that my i myself am actually playing at a concert hall but i'm walking in my spiritual form i'm i'm walking up behind myself and i'm listening to the music that i'm playing and and i'm in this big concert hall and i remember i actually drew a picture of the concert hall it was that vivid and I walked up behind myself and I just stood there and and I was playing this music and I was being a spectator to it. And the ending had a loud crashing ending and it woke me up Excuse me out of a sound sleep. And as I sitting there in bed, I, I got up and looked at the clock and it was 315 and I thought, what the hell? And I walked out to the piano and I tried to plunk out some of the notes that I had heard but I didn't have the faintest idea at that point how to do anything in terms of writing or or notation so I I said the hell with this and I went back to bed because I had a busy day the next day so I got up in the morning and and one of the first things that I realized was that every time I sat down at that piano the music from the dream would start playing in my head and it was like a permanent partner that I had of this music that was just always there and the minute it had an opportunity to start playing it would and music was always the same and it was very haunting it reminded me of a little two-year-old child that was very insistent and play with me daddy play with me and, and the music was like that and if I was busy and couldn't do it it got more insistent and so it was really kind of strange, but if I didn't play it uh, and, and didn't give some attention to it every day, it would interfere with my thoughts at work and interfere with everything else that I was doing. So I started trying to, to learn how to play and one of the big turning points was I had was struggling to learn a piece of music called a fantasy impromptu, one of the Chopin favorites. And I was sitting at the piano trying to teach myself this piece of music, and which is hard to learn even with a teacher. The teaching yourself was next to impossible. And one day my daughter's best friend was over at the house and her mom is a, an accomplished classical violinist. And she came over to pick her up. Her name is Jackie. Jackie was a child. Her mom was Penny. And Penny came in and, and she says, what are you doing? And I says, I'm trying to learn this piece of music. I said, but I'm really struggling because the hands don't line up. And she said, well, they're not supposed to. And I said, what do you mean? Why would somebody write a piece of music where the hands don't line up? And she said, it's what's called a polyrhythm and i said i don't understand what's a polyrhythm and she said i'm not even gonna attempt to tell you this she said you need to get a teacher and so she recommended sandy mccain who was the chairman of music at Hartwood college and we lived in oneonta which is uh, was just down the street from uh, Hartwood college and I called Sandy up and asked her if she would take on an old guy who wanted to learn how to play. And and she let me come for an audition and I went to her studio and she told me to bring some pieces of music that I had been working on, uh, which I did. And after I was finished, she said that she would take me on, but under no circumstances was I allowed to play any of this music again until she said I could. The thought being that I did not have any of the foundation needed to be able to play those pieces of music, and anything that I did to to injure that process would just take much, much longer to reach, so um, I followed her advice, and I, and I didn't, but I had told her about the, the music that was playing in my head, and as we went along, we, we were working two hours a week, which, and our only time in common was five in the morning and so we would meet from five to six two days a week and that was that was kind of our time to do this and as time went on i would work on trying to to write down little snippets of that music from the dream and as i was learning to play and i didn't know what i was going to do with them i mean but i i wanted to i would write down you know a measure or two and i would throw it in a drawer um, and I had this big collection of little pieces of paper that had different thoughts uh, from the music. But the music in my head was always exactly the same, and it was just constantly playing. So the, the lightning was 1994. I started taking lessons in 1998 uh, after a few years of trying to muddle through it myself unsuccessfully. And in 2002, I started going to a a piano camp for adults, called a Sonata. It's a piano camp for adults, and it's in Bennington, Vermont. And it's a group of people that meet at an old convent. Um, and there's a piano in every room, and there's usually about 30 people who are at these sessions. And so in May of 2002, I started. And each May, I would go at the same time. and. In 2006, something happened. And what happened was, in the intervening years of trying to understand what had happened to me, I had uh, started seeing a a psychic medium, Linda Dickinson. And I was intent on trying to understand what happened to me and why it happened. And I went to see her in January uh, or February of 2006. And I sat down in the chair across from her and she just jumped up and said, tell me you're going to piano camp. And I was like, geez, you know, I was undecided. I said, "I, you know, it's really busy right now. And I didn't know that I could afford to go. And she said, no, you have to go. It's very important. You're going to meet a woman there and she's going to have a huge influence on your life. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't know what the hell this means. But so I made plans to go. And when I went in 2006, there was something new there. And the owner, Polly Vanderlind, her sister, Erica Vanderlyn Feidner, was the number one salesperson at Steinway, New York. And she had left Steinway and she was she had transitioned to Bosendorfer pianos and she was there at this meeting and she had flown in five or six beautiful Bosendorfer pianos for people to play on at, at music camp, which was pretty neat. She and I got talking about the lightning and how I came to, to play and and what it all meant. And she said, you know, there's only one person that can tell the story and that's Oliver Sacks. And, and I thought... Okay, the only thing I knew about Oliver Sacks was that he had written the book Awakenings and he was responsible for solving the riddle of Parkinson's disease. And, but I didn't know anything more about him. And and I thought, okay, you know, life goes on. And at that point I went back home and went back to life as usual. But as soon as I got home, In that, I think it was about June sometime, I get a phone call from Oliver Sacks. And I thought, whoa, what's this all about? And Oliver says, you know, I've heard about this, the story with you and the lightning and the music. And I would like you to come to New York and be one of my patients because I've got a collection of people who've had interesting events happen in their lives. and, And I think you would fit into that group. And I thought, sure, I'd love to to meet you and go through that. So in August of 2006, I drive down to New York City. I meet Oliver Sacks in the morning and we spent the entire day talking about life and the lightning and, and anything else that came along. And at the end of the day, we're standing in his doorway saying goodnight. And he looked at me, you know, with those piercing eyes that just looked right through you. And he says, you know, the music went through an awful lot of trouble to get here from the lightning strike. The least you can do is write it. I was so taken with that. And when I got home, I, I promised myself I would start right away to write the music. But I didn't know how to write music so I, I bought a, a program called Sibelius which is like writing music for dummies and by using the fact that I had the the music from the dream was constantly playing in my head I could write something on the electric piano and have it play it back to me and if it matched what I was hearing I knew I was on the right track so I spent seven months every single night for that whole time and my objective was to be able to play the music for my piano group when I went in May of 2007. I finished writing the music out for somebody else to read and by that point I was able to play it as well and that was my goal was to play it for the group in May of 2007 which I did. And it was well received. And while I was at the, at that meeting, I got a call from Oliver. And uh, I hadn't heard from him since August. And he said, you know, I, I was wondering if I could use your story, my book, Musicophilia, that's going to be coming out. And I thought, eh, sure, why not? I don't have anything to hide. And he said, good, because... You're chapter one, and chapter one is going to appear in the New Yorker magazine July 23rd. A few months from now, I thought, oh, jeez, you got to be kidding me. And he said, no. And I said, okay. So suddenly, a a story that I had kept to myself, uh, to a large extent, had been taken out of the closet. And at this point, you know, I'm just feeling my way along. So the the article comes out in the New Yorker and the phone starts ringing. And one of the first people to call me was a friend of mine, Carlton Clay, who was the head of music at the State University College in Oneonta, New York, and the Department of Music he was the head of. And Carlton says, hey, you know, I'd, I'd like you to teach a class and come in and talk to us about this whole lightning thing and the music. And I said, Okay, sure, why not? And so we were making plans to do that. And the next week he calls and he says, you know, it's getting an awful lot of information asking that's going on around this whole episode. And so would you also play the music for a class? And I thought, sure, can't be too hard. So, you know, and now I've committed myself and just going along doing my regular activities and and piano lessons and and work and a few weeks later he calls and he says geez you know i don't know how to how to approach this he says but we're getting inundated with phone calls and and people wanting to know more about this and he said would you consider playing a concert at the performing arts center and i said geez you know my initial response was no way and he go and, and he just just wouldn't stop and i said but i don't know how to do this i i said I, I don't know anything about performing i don't know anything about being able to be prepared for something like that and he goes oh you'll be fine <laughs> and i he was lying and i should have trusted my intuition but i i went along with it and I said that I would do it. He's turned the heat up on the boiler a little bit, and then I'm starting to really struggle and, and panic. And and he calls back a, another couple weeks later and says, geez, he said, you're not gonna believe this. He said, there's gonna be three television crews there. The BBC One, Granada Media, and German Television. I'm like, oh, please. I said, you can't do this to me. And he goes, you'll be fine. And at that point, I was absolutely panicked. I called my piano teacher, Sandy, and I said, I don't know how in the world I'm going to do this. And I said, is there some way, something you can do to teach me how to do this and get me through it? And she said, yeah, but it's going to be a lot of work for both of us. And I'm like, Okay, well, I'll do it if you'll do it. So at that point, we started working three hours minimum a day on doing this, and we started out by just going to the performing arts center and teaching me how to walk up on the stage and not embarrass myself, and and how to approach the whole thing of of doing a performance. And then she would go up and you know she would make me play, and she would go up in the in the bleachers, and she'd say, "I can't hear you." I'm like, oh my God, it was a difficult process. And, you know, this whole thing took months of preparation. And in January of 2008 was when this concert was. It was actually two nights and it was a packed house. I mean, standing room only. And somehow I managed to get through it. And I remember going to the green room right beforehand and I and I said to God and my my guides and angels and I said, look, you guys got me here. And I said, please don't abandon me and and make me do this by myself because I'm going to embarrass us both. And thankfully, they they stuck with me and we were able to just get through the whole process. And at that point the music took on a life of its own because I I started getting invited to play all over the country in, in different venues. And but I continued doing my lessons and I continued working full time. And you know, the music from the dream, what I affectionately called the lightning sonata, continued to play in my in my head and continued to be developed, you know, technically as well. And I continued doing that work. Um, I had an incredible opportunity to perform it at Mozart's home in Austria. Um, There's a basement concert hall under his house. And I got to perform it there, which was an incredible, incredible event for me to, to be in the house of a great master like that and to walk the same stairs, which was really something. And then one of the performances that I did was for the International Association of Near-Death Studies, an organization that's large and is essentially people who have a great interest in near-death studies or who have had an experience. This is their conference. And I was a keynote speaker in 2013, I think it was. And I did a talk about this whole aspect of things. And then they had a piano brought in and I, and I played the, the lightning piece for the crowd. Uh, what was interesting about it was that, um, right after I finished playing, somebody came from the audience and said, you've got to see this. And I said, okay. And she pulled out her camera. And it's a digital camera and she's looking at the screen. And when I was up on the stage, giving my talk, she took a picture and there was a big blue orb about 10 feet over my head. And I thought, okay, what the hell is that? And it obviously is some form of energy. And when I was playing at the piano, she had taken another picture. And the blue orb had come down and was sitting right at the very bottom end of the keyboard on the left side. But what was interesting to me was that the orb actually gave off a bluish light onto the keys. It's not like it was a reflection of something else. It was energy in and of itself and was was casting that energy onto the keys. So my interpretation of that was that, you know, this is... Part of the whoever gave me the music is sticking around to make sure that I'm true to it and and I don't screw it up too badly, which I was forever grateful for. And so, I, you know, things have just continued on in this way, and I've continued to play the music. One of the things that has happened every time I play in a concert is that people will come up to me very sheepishly and you know they don't want other people to hear what they've got to say and and they'll you know come in and they'll say this has happened to me also and you know they've had some sort of injury and they had a near death experience and you know they don't want people to know because people are going to think they're crazy and certainly when this happened to me in the 90s it was not a time where you could go around telling people that I kept it to myself because it was not unusual for somebody to call the state and say, hey, this guy's getting really loose around the edges. You probably ought to take his license away. So I, you know, I just kind of kept it to myself. Of course, Oliver took that out of the closet and put it out there for everybody to look at. So in in the interim, there's still lots of music that I have continued to receive from wherever this music comes from and i've often thought that i tune into a frequency and music exists on that frequency and and i have access to it and lots of other composers have have said things like that you know even mozart said that you know, the music comes in final form it's just given to him and and he would write it down And lots of other pianists and musicians say very similar things that the music comes from someplace. So I don't know where that place is, but certainly it may have a location. And of course, the other question then becomes, is it possible that it's it's buried in the DNA of me? And however many times of lifetimes that I have had um, the DNA has a record of all of that stuff. Or it could also possibly exist in what's called the Akashic Records, which is where everything that has ever happened uh, is stored. And somehow um, I have found a way to access that information, at least in a musical sense. And one in my discussions with Oliver Sacks, Oliver thought that the lightning had somehow rewired my brain so that I had access to things now that I never would have had access to. Um, I think it goes more than that. I think that there is encoded in our DNA, things that we have no idea exist. And along the road, I have also been in a study of Daryl Treffert, who's a physician specializing in savants. And I'm in a group of people that have become sudden savants after um, some sort of injury. And what's interesting to me is that I've gotten to meet a lot of these people in his study group. And they're all people of entirely different walks of life. But they've all got one thing in common. They've had some sort of injury to their head brain injury, surgery, lightning, accidents, tumors, there's been something that has happened to everybody, even something as simple as being hit with a baseball. And the thing that's amazing to me is that all of these people have developed an ability that they didn't have before, whether it be sculpting, whether it be painting, whether it be amazing mathematical abilities to to just Remembered, not remember, but just know dates um, and times. You know, you ask this one guy, what day was um, December 4th, you know, 1941? It could tell you instantly. Uh, And, you know, it's like, okay, how does any of this make sense? I think what it does is it, it shows us that we know very little about the brain and consciousness and... Anything else? I think the one big message that I have to give is that consciousness does not die. Our consciousness continues on and is with us from the beginning of our spiritual life and will be with us until the end of it. And however many lives we live, it's always there. You're always the same person. Unfortunately, you don't get to remember. Um, and I'm sure that there's there's reasons for the way it's set up that way. But it's, it's a very difficult um, thing to comprehend. I think a lot of times it's almost like a cruel board game. You get dropped on into this incarnation and you have a, a board uh in front of you and but there's no rules and you have no idea how to play the game and you want to i I call it the helen keller game because you have to feel your way along and you have you don't have any sense of what it is you're trying to accomplish but to me the music is important because i think it does a number of things i think there's more to the music that i understand and i think that it has frequencies that are encoded in the music that can get the dna to turn on and i think that it's designed to help raise the vibrational energy of of the individual and i think that it can it can help in development of consciousness but that's purely um, my speculation but it's based on a lot of research and thinking about it on a constant basis. And but I think that's that's all I have.